All right, kids, it's participation time. So I have a question. You've got to raise your hands, and then I'll call on you, and you can answer the question if you're brave enough tonight. All right, kids, what are some of the miracles that Jesus did in the Bible? You brave kids. What did he do? Water into wine, the very first one. Excellent. In the back. What, say it loud, louder. He healed the sick. Excellent. That is so good. We could just say amen and go home. Thank you. <laughs> Up here, what's another miracle that Jesus did? He rose from the dead. That's a pretty big one. Yeah. Any others? One more? Yes. When he walked across the water, that was pretty amazing, wasn't it? Jesus did a lot of amazing things. Now let me ask you a second question. Which of these miracles do you think was the greatest? Which of these miracles do you think was the greatest? I'll let you just think about that one. I'm going to tell you what a man named J.I. Packer said. He was a really smart pastor and theologian. And he said the greatest miracle of all time was the birth of Christ. Think about that. Of all the miracles that Jesus did, Packer said the greatest miracle was the birth of Christ. There's a fancy word what theologians call this. It's called the incarnation. You know what the incarnation means? It means that the creator of the universe became a human while still being fully God. And Packer said that's the most amazing miracle of all time. All right, now, audience participation from everyone. On the count of three, I want you to say your full name, all right? If you don't like your middle name, there'll be enough noise. Nobody will hear it. It'll be fine, so, all right? On the count of three, one, two, three. John David Stevenson. Ah, excellent. So, you know, in the Bible... God has almost over 900 different names. Most of us maybe have two or three or maybe a few more than that. But God has almost or has over 900 names in the Bible. One of those names that he's given here is Emmanuel. Does anybody know what Emmanuel means? Well, this is one of those tests that actually has the answer in the text that we read. What does Emmanuel mean with us? It's in verse 23. Emmanuel means, what is it? God is with us. Pastor's kids, love it. All right. <laughs> so that's what we're going to talk about for about 15 minutes or less. We're going to talk about one word tonight, Emmanuel, one name for about 10 or 15 minutes. Two points from it. Emmanuel means God with us. So the first thing I want you to take with home tonight is this, is that Jesus is God. <clears throat> In verse 23, Matthew quotes from this prophet that was lived almost 700 years before the time of Christ, Isaiah 7:14, and he says that this little baby is also God. The message of Christmas is the king of the universe became a human being. Matthew, who wrote this? Matthew. Now, who was Matthew? Matthew was a Jew, okay? And you need to know a few things 
about the Jews. The Jews were shocked. They would be the last people on earth to believe that God ever became a baby or a human. They would have been the last people ever. The person who wrote this, Matthew, would have been the last person ever to believe that God became a human. You see, what most people believed at this time, there were people in the East, Eastern religions, that believed God was an impersonal force, like in Rogue One. Anybody seen Rogue One? So it's no big deal for a human being to be a manifestation of God. Or Western religions, they thought that there were a lot of gods and they would just dress up like humans, like Thor in Avengers. The Jews, however, didn't think like this. And the Jews had such a high reverence for God that they would not even pronounce God's name or even spell it. And so it's a pretty amazing thing for Matthew to be convinced that Jesus was actually God. You know, a lot of Jewish people believed that Jesus was God, and they followed him, even his own family. Now, kids, how, how hard would it be for you to convince your own family that you're God? You know, that'd be a pretty hard thing to believe that your brother was actually God. The disciples and the Jews must have seen amazing glory in Jesus. They must have seen strength and tenderness combined in a human being that they've never, ever seen before. Kids, you need to know this first point here, that Jesus claimed to be God. Now, a lot of people might tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God, but that's just not true. Jesus claims to be God all the time in the New Testament. He claims to do things that only God can do, like judge people or even forgive people. In Luke 7, there was a woman when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. When he said that to the woman, he was claiming to be God. Let me illustrate it this way. Kids, what's your favorite toy that you got? What's your favorite present or toy that you got today? Anybody? What'd you get? A bow and arrow. That's awesome. <laughs> Anybody else get a favorite one? Graham, what did you get? A magic science set. Awesome. Yeah. One more? What'd you get? A drone. Wow, that's awesome. I want a drone. <laughs> so imagine this. If you got your favorite present, this drone, and then imagine that you have two brothers, and then imagine one of your brothers gets your drone out, and then he wants to play with it, but then he actually breaks it because he's not playing with that drone correctly. But then your other brother says, actually, to your little brother, it's okay, you're forgiven. What would you say? Hey, wait a minute. You can't forgive him of breaking my drone because you're not me. And so when Jesus is looking at the woman and says, your sins are forgiven, do you know why he can say that? He's saying that because only God can forgive sins. And so when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, Jesus is actually claiming to be God. 
So the first thing that we need to see really clearly in this passage is that Jesus claimed to be God. Now, two quick applications from this. Think about what this means if Jesus is God. If Jesus really is God, then you have to either follow him or run away from him. Some get so mad at Jesus they want to kill him. Some get so scared that they say, get away from me. And others fall down and worship him. You can't do but one of those three things, right? Get mad, get scared, or worship him. The second application is this. If Jesus is God, then you have to ask, why did God come to earth? He gives us the answer there in verse 21. He says, to save his people from their sins. Why did God come to earth? To save us from our sins. He came because we can't get to him, so he came to us. He didn't send someone else, but he himself came. You know, a lot of people don't like this claim by Jesus that he's the only way to get to God. They think it's intolerant for Jesus to claim that he's the only way to heaven. But imagine if you're sick and you go to all these other doctors and the other doctors just say, you know what, you're not really sick, just just rest a little bit, drink some fluids, and you'll be okay. And then imagine if you come to me and I'm a doctor and I say, actually, you're really sick and you're going to die unless you take this pill. Now, would you respond to me and say, I think you're really uh, intolerant. It's really arrogant for you to think that, that I'm sick and that you know what will cure me. No, you wouldn't say that. You'd w- investigate and find out. I'm either right or wrong. It's not uh, intolerant. It's not arrogant of me to say that. It's the same way that Jesus is saying. And so you may think that Christianity, that Jesus is wrong or crazy, but it's not narrow-minded for him to be the only way. So the first point is this. If Jesus is God, then only he can save us from our sins. We need forgiveness from the one we have offended. Next point is this. Emmanuel means not only that Jesus is God, but that he is God with us. In verse 18, the mother of Jesus was Mary. So Jesus was human. I love the way Hebrews 2 says that Jesus was fully human in every way because he himself suffered when he was tried and tested. He is able to help those who are being tried and tested. One of my favorite Christmas songs is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, It just tells the gospel story beautifully. You know, in that song, there's one line that says, Mild he lays his glory by. It means that he willingly, voluntarily, and lovingly left the riches of God to be with us. I love the way C.S. Lewis describes this in thinking about the Incarnation. He says, imagine lying at your feet is your dog. Imagine for the moment that your dog and every dog is in deep distress. Some of us love dogs very much. If it would help all the dogs in the world to become like men, would you be willing to come become a dog? Would you put down your human nature, leave your loved ones, your job, your hobbies, your art and literature and music, and choose instead of the intimate communion with your beloved, the poor substitute 
of looking into the beloved's face and wagging your tail, unable to smile or speak. Christ, by becoming man, limited the thing which to him was the most precious thing in the world, his unhampered, unhindered communion with the Father. It's pretty amazing that God became human to be with us. Two quick applications on this. Think about what this means if Jesus is God with us. If Jesus is God with us, then he knows how we feel when we're lonely, when we're sad, or when we're anxious. He's been all the places that we've been, including the dark ones. So that means you can trust him, you can rely on him, and you can talk to him because he has the power to comfort and to help you. Kids, you don't have to raise your hands on this, but how many of you have night lights? You know, night lights are really helpful. Because why? Because they help us see at night. And as a father, when my kids have night lights, I don't come into the room and yell at them and say, I can't believe you don't trust me. I'm sleeping in the room next door. You don't need a night light. I'm right here. Why? Because I know what it's like to be them. I know what it's like to be a child, and I know what it's like to want to have light in your room. It's the same way with our Heavenly Father. He knows that it's scary sometimes to live in this world, and so He's not upset. We're not alone, and He knows what we're experiencing. The second application is this. If Jesus is God with us, then it means that we can have a real relationship with Him. That God can be known. That God can be loved through faith. It's amazing, right? We've been doing this Advent series. And the theme that's been running through Advent is seeing God appear as fire throughout the Old Testament. He was the smoking fire pot. He was the torch to Gideon. We looked at the furnace. We looked at the flame with Gideon. And we said, you know, fire can be attractive. But a fire is also very dangerous. And a fire can be very consuming. It's terrifying. You know, Moses and Abraham and Daniel and his friends and Gideon, all of them, when they saw the fire, they were full of fear. But now at Christmas time, God has come not as a consuming fire, but as a baby. Why? Because a baby is accessible and vulnerable. It means that we can have a relationship with God. Can you imagine Moses, Abraham, Israelites, Daniel and his friends, and Gideon hearing the message of Christmas that we can see God face to face? He didn't come as a storm or a blazing fire, but as a baby because he's accessible and vulnerable to us. If Jesus is God with us, then we can be with him. We need a relationship with the one that we were created for. No other religion has a God like this. Millions of us sing these Christmas songs over and over, Emmanuel, God with us. Is he really with you? Do you really know him? Have you experienced his love have you felt his grace? Or are these simply words and do you know some things about him? 
Have you experienced God with us, Emmanuel? I saw a video this past week of a little boy opening up presents with his mom, and he had a stack of presents under the tree, just tons and tons of presents. But he had one massive present the size of a refrigerator. And his mom said, you have to open up all your other presents before you open up the big one. The little boy, of course, couldn't wait to open up the massive present. And so he tore through all the other presents as much as he could, as fast as he could. And then finally, he got to the gigantic, massive, refrigerator-sized present. And when he tore that open, you know what was inside of the box? It was his father who had returned from Afghanistan. You know, I'm a sucker for all of those soldier homecoming surprise things. I love watching those videos. And that's what it means at Christmas time. Emmanuel means that we don't just have a father. We have a father who is with us. If you like what I have to say or have questions about this, we have a few more books of Hidden Christmas Left by Tim Keller. He's got a great chapter on this. You can pick it up on the way out. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is God, and he's with us. This is the amazing story and truth of Christmas. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it's incomprehensible that the God of the universe would take on flesh that your glory would be veiled in order to save us, your creatures. So Father, help us to see just how much you love us, how amazing it is that we can have a relationship with you. Father, during this Christmas season, give us the joy and the wonder and excitement that children have this time of year, not simply at presents under the tree, but presents that came from you, the greatest gift of all. Father, amaze us with your gospel. Humble us with your beauty and change us for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.